Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. At the end of each week, I am joined by a guest to help us distill and further examine what we heard in trial that previous week. Again this week, my guest is Abby Smith, who serves as professor of law and director of the Criminal Defense and Prisoner Advocacy Clinic at Georgetown University. Together we'll explore a number of the issues that were raised by the courtroom events that we covered this past week including ways both the prosecution and the defense sought to advance their respective narratives for the jury through the use of video evidence, as well as through the testimony of one of the lead detectives on the case. That's all coming up right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, my conversation with Georgetown law professor and criminal defense attorney, Abby Smith. Abby Smith, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. This week, we heard Thomas Binger present a series of videos to the jury through the testimony of Detective Martin Howard. And the manner with which he did so can only be described as dispassionate and disengaged. What was your assessment of how Binger presented the video evidence and the way that he used the witness in presenting it? Well, in my opinion, it was kind of a disaster. And in my commentary and observations over the past few weeks, I've made excuses for Mr. Binger. And I've also been impressed with his intelligence, with his ease, with the law. And I am just kind of bewildered by what he was doing here. It was boring. He didn't use video that could have been absolutely compelling and could have filled in the picture of the prosecution's theory, but he didn't. It's just like he was letting it play on and on. And I cannot imagine the jury was engaged in the way he used the video. He was doing it without any narration and without anybody connecting the dots. He wasn't zooming in on any moment in particular to show its importance. He wasn't using the video to to slap down some of the defense theory and defense narrative. And I don't know whether he didn't prepare Detective Howard well or whether Detective Howard was simply not a prosecution witness. He was more of a defense witness in his heart. I, I don't know. I can't say. But he was not terribly effective on direct, and he was very effective for the defense on cross-examination. I want to break down the various pieces of evidence that we heard this week and saw this week, but I want to posit something from the outset. I completely concur that Binger did a terrible job at presenting the evidence, and on top of that, he still does not appear to have a consistent theory for his case. But 
I think that as we see more evidence, I'm beginning to feel like he doesn't believe he has a case. And so he's sort of grasping at straws. He hasn't come to a theory because he can't figure out a theory that is going to be convincing and that the evidence will fit. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I doubt it. I tend to think it's probably overconfidence, a kind of arrogance that comes from generally having all of the evidence in the cases he prosecutes and being a little gobsmacked at there being a pretty powerful rebuttal. You know, I don't know. I I agree with you. There's not a coherent prosecution theory or narrative still. And to the extent there is one, I don't think it's very effective. If the prosecution theory is that Kyle Rittenhouse was the only person who shot and killed anyone. Therefore, he must be guilty of the charges that have been brought against him. That's not a good theory. If the theory is this, you know, young, hot-headed, full of himself kid who had no business carrying a rifle, overreacted at every pass, put himself in a position where things were more fraught than they needed to be and where he stirred up trouble and then overreacted. That's a good theory. I mean, that's a story that people could believe, but he just wasn't telling that story. And I think that's the story he needed to tell. I think that story is the truth, frankly. And I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I don't usually care so much about the truth. What I care about, though, is something that has the ring of truth, something that captures the imagination of the people who are sitting in the jury box. And I just don't think Binger has done that. He doesn't have to vilify Rittenhouse in order to get a conviction. He needs to show that he's shooting a guy with a plastic bag, you know, who maybe was threatening, but not in the way that a reasonable person would find a firearm is required. He just sort of doesn't engage in that way, you know, and boy, the defense has so far made very good use of the contrast between Rittenhouse's behavior and Gage Grosskreutz. That was kind of artfully done. And I, you know, maybe, maybe you're right that Binger's not that happy with the witnesses he has, but that's not unusual for prosecutors. They don't have perfect witnesses any more than the defense has perfect witnesses, with the exception of police officers. Police officers are usually the best bet of a prosecutor. I mean, they're essentially professional witnesses. If you think about it, what do police officers do for a living? They enforce the law on the streets, and then they come into court to testify about it. They're practiced. Mostly prosecutors can rely on police officers to be good on the witness stand, to help them tell the story they want to tell. But that just is not happening in this trial, not so far. Having looked at the video and having thought a bit about the case that Binger might have brought, what are the elements that you saw that would lead you to think that you could make the case for Kyle Rittenhouse having been reckless and that each of these was reckless homicide or reckless attempted homicide? Okay, couple of easy ones. So I thought there were two key videos. Frankly, it's the audio more than the video that could have been used to make the case that Rittenhouse engaged in a shocking, truly shocking overreaction. Not that he was unusual and that he was the only person who shot, because he wasn't the only person who discharged a firearm since Mr. Zeminski had discharged his firearm. And oddly, there were people who were armed on the streets of Kenosha. So the mere fact of carrying a firearm apparently didn't distinguish Rittenhouse. But what was 
special, what was shocking and different about him is that in the face of a non-attack, certainly a non-lethal attack, hardly a terribly dangerous attack, he shoots multiple times. And I felt like there was real emotion in the voices of Kelly Zeminski and um, the guy who is the broadcaster who goes under the handle incognito. There's just shock. Oh my God. He shot him. He shot him. He laid a guy out. You know, he shot him. And that, that shock, that's great storytelling. What's that shock about? The shock is about what the hell? That There was no reason. In the middle of this, you know, a guy shoots an unarmed guy and then keeps right on shooting. I, I think that would have been so useful to pause on that and really develop it and use the detective if, you know, to the extent you can. The, the voices kind of do the work for you. Now, those incidentally, as a matter of evidence, are classic spontaneous utterances. Those couple of voices on the video, those statements would be considered exceptions to the hearsay rule. And one of the reasons, and I, I certainly hope that the prosecutor argues this in closing argument, is because a spontaneous utterance has that ring of truth. There's no time to manipulate anything or be crafty about the presentation of your response. You are basically responding simultaneously with an exciting, shocking event. And I, I just think Binger dropped the ball on that. He kind of let that, that go by as if it was the same thing as the rest of the footage. By contrast, Mark Richards had a very coherent narrative strategy in dealing with Detective Howard. Yes, I would call Richard's cross-examination of Detective Howard masterful. And that's high praise from me. I, you know, I'm, I can, I can be as bad a Monday morning quarterback as any experienced criminal defense lawyer, but he did a very, very good job. He really made the points he needed to make. And they were crystal clear points that, you know, the point about Kyle Rittenhouse's cooperation about his smartphone, the focusing in on Kyle Rittenhouse on the ground, having fallen and really freezing that frame and suggesting his vulnerability at that moment. I just think he did a, he did a very nice job. He used the word correct, a little too much for my taste. That's a control device that one uses in cross-examination when you need to. But other than that little nitpicking comment or criticism, I thought he did a superb job. Let's talk about some of the other strategic and tactical decisions that Richards made over the course of the material that we presented this week. Not only did he emphasize Kyle Rittenhouse's cooperation, but he also attacked the lack of cooperation of one of the complaining witnesses in the case, Gage Grosskreutz. And he also implied that the prosecution was complicit in Grosskreutz's lack of cooperation. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, that was really interesting. There was a kind of, of a subtext of mocking this law called Marcy's Law, where victims of crime, their privacy is protected. And it was odd. I, I haven't heard the redirect yet, but Detective Howard admitted that he was one of the people who had a concern about what they, how much, you know, they could intrude upon Mr. Gross rights because of that law, because he was somebody who was shot. So I don't think he was mocking it so much, but Richards certainly was mocking the whole thing, mocking the suggestion that somebody upon whom a search warrant would be issued could ever claim protection of this law that came from somebody who was murdered 
in the context of domestic violence. And he got the police officer to do his work for him. Uh, you know, he, he must have gone out and bought everybody a drink that night. There's nothing more fun for a defense lawyer than scoring a really big point with the prosecution's chief investigating detective. You know, and that was when he asked the detective, well, you know, have you ever heard Marcy's Law come up? in a context of executing a search warrant before, and the detective says no. So that was really nicely done. And he's managed to make Grosskreutz seem like a defendant, you know, another suspected criminal, a person against whom a search warrant would ordinarily in the course of things be issued. You know, that was kind of subtle, but it also drew blood, that that cross-examination about the one surviving victim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the next part of our conversation, we explore more of defense attorney Mark Richards' tactical choices as he sought to reframe the video evidence through the testimony of Detective Martin Howard. There was footage that Richards replayed of Rittenhouse pulling a dumpster onto the Carsource property. And Richards made quite a bit of the fact that that dumpster was actually Carsource property. And we saw no evidence of that, but Richards said it and there was no objection from Binger about that. And he also made quite a bit of the fact that the folks that were setting a lot of the fires were using dumpsters like that to set arson fires and to push those dumpsters into the fray and into the encounters with police. And he linked Joseph Rosenbaum and Joshua Zeminski into the rioters. We haven't seen a lot of evidence of that, but it's virtually been stipulated to by the prosecution. Take me through what your sense of those tactics were by Richards and Binger's failure to respond in any meaningful way. So I didn't really take away much about Zeminski or Rosenbaum engaging in mischief of any kind with the dumpsters. What I took away was a more positive spin, which is that Richards kept describing Rittenhouse as protecting property, protecting property, protecting property. In a number of the questions, he you know used that phrase and kept repeating it. And the detective agreed and just signed on to that phrase. And that was fascinating to me because, A, it should have been objected to. The officer, the detective, can't testify to what was in Rittenhouse's motivation for moving the dumpster. And that was sort of so central, it seems to me, to the defense in the case, that Kyle Rittenhouse is, is a good boy. He's being a Boy Scout. He's there to protect property. He's there to be a good citizen. That's why he's moving the dumpster, as opposed to him being a provocateur or an instigator. There's no question that the defense is also going to muddy up the witnesses for the prosecution um, who are involved in, in, the, in what, whatever's happening there, who are involved in the demonstrations 
or the action in the street. And so, yes, there's been an emphasis on Zeminsky having fired a weapon. They've really already, and used the detective also, sullied Huber by suggesting that he was, you know, intentionally using a skateboard with no provocation and no reason to injure poor Kyle Rittenhouse, but he had just shot and killed somebody. Somehow that's that's been lost. And the detective went kind of right along with that narrative. So I, I guess my takeaway is much more that this is a positive or affirmative cross-examination, not so much of a destructive one. There was a little bit of destructive cross in the beginning, though that too was pretty artfully done because he didn't make an enemy out of Detective Howard. He suggested that the police investigation fell short of normal standards and that it took four days to find shell casings and that it really wasn't very well investigated. So he was sort of, at the very least, neutralizing the police as not effective prosecution witnesses. And the rest of the cross, too, I think he was mostly making affirmative points that Rittenhouse was protecting property, that Rittenhouse felt ambushed, that Rittenhouse was really cooperative. That was a good use of this witness. Well, but simultaneously, he was muddying up the complaining witnesses and some of the other bystanders who were supporters of Joseph Rosenbaum. And specifically, he he muddied up Grosskreutz. He muddied up Joseph Rosenbaum, particularly with the testimony that he elicited about Rosenbaum lying in wait behind the Duramax and then jumping out and chasing Rittenhouse. And there was a piece of questioning where either he or Sharafasi indicated that those kinds of masks that he turned it, that Rosenbaum turned his shirt into where he covered most of his face were used in muggings, basically, in jumpings, and implied that that's what Rosenbaum was trying to do to Rittenhouse. And then right. you have Zeminsky firing the weapon recklessly and in the defense narrative, triggering yes. Kyle Rittenhouse firing his own weapon. The information about Zeminsky using a false name to brag about having shot the first shot, that was that 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 was damaging. And you're right about about all of those things. You know, I'm I'm thinking what what was the most compelling thing for the jury? And I just think it was useful to keep painting Kyle Rittenhouse in a very human light and in a kind of do-gooder light. It sets up his testimony nicely. I mean, you're absolutely right that part of setting up his testimony is deriding the others who would make him look not so good, not so clean. And he did that. He managed to do some of that without objection, which I thought was sort of stunning. Lying in wait, that should have been objected to. I mean, frankly, the videos speak for themselves. But if the detective is asked to, you know, sign on to something, It should be very factual and not subjective impressions or conclusions. That was the one decent part of Binger's direct examination of Detective Howard was when he had him describe, frankly, it felt to me that he had to make Detective Howard agree with this description that Rosenbaum was carrying a plastic bag. And then it was a rare time when Binger lingered on that and said, you know, not a weapon, not a this, not a that, a plastic bag, that's all. He was not armed. What did you make of the defense's use of the video of the shootings of Grosskreutz and Huber? I think the defense used those clips well to hammer home the, you know, potential 
lethal impact of a skateboard. And they did a really nice job of the jump and kick guy. They made fabulous use of him, frankly, because they were trying to suggest it was danger upon danger upon danger to Kyle Rittenhouse. So there's Huber with a skateboard. There's this guy who's kicking at him. And then everybody in the jury has to understand that Grosskreutz was armed and that that's a significant detail. So I thought the, the defense made good use of those facts. The prosecution really dropped the ball here. They have video footage. What they needed to do with the video footage is not just play it because it's sort of fuzzy and it goes by relatively quickly. You know, they really needed to pause and they needed to zoom in. And there's equipment that can do that. I don't know why they didn't do that, because some of that I thought could have been used to the prosecutor's great advantage. It was kind of shocking. And it could have portrayed much more readily as part of the prosecution narrative that Anthony Huber was a hero, that he was completely unarmed, that he sees what he thinks is an active shooter. We live in a country where these things happen and where these things happen Usually the person that's doing them is a lot like Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, is a young white man who suddenly is shooting a semi-automatic weapon. And Huber heroically sought to stop him. But Binger did not tell that story. He didn't make that case. He played right into the defense's hands. They, they wanted to make the skateboard be a weapon. You know, I don't even know what to say about that. Huber is the easiest one out of all of the victims in this case. And I kind of am stunned that he's not being made more of a central figure, a heroic figure. Before we leave, I want to hash out some opinions that I've heard from other observers of this trial. And that is that this case was overcharged, that Rittenhouse had the law behind him when he claimed self-defense, and that the prosecution was fumbling around because they didn't have enough of a case to make for reckless homicide. I have to give that more thought and I have to see a little bit more of the evidence before I, I weigh in on that. I mean, generally speaking, I sh should say, Carrie, that I almost always think that prosecutors overcharge, that they get kind of greedy and they throw too many charges and or they overcharge in the hopes of catching one of those charges. And I actually think that there are ethical problems with that. And in this case, there may well have been strategic problems. I'll tell you what my free association is. I keep thinking about George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. This case has some of that, that, you know, you've got, you know, a kind of person taking the law into his own hands and overreacting, but it really depends on the place where the case is tried, on what the law is, you know, with regard to self-defense. I do think race matters. I think Mr. Rittenhouse being white is a factor in this case. And I remain really flabbergasted at the video footage of Kyle Rittenhouse, gun strapped across his body, his hands in the air, and not a single police car stopping, not a single police officer jumping out, grabbing him and throwing him to the ground. I've never seen that. I've practiced law for almost 40 years now as a criminal defense lawyer. I, I, if it was one of my usual clients, there's no way they would have been walking the streets with that gun, hands up, and not been thrown down with all these people saying, you just shot a person, you just shot a person. So I'm going to wait and see what I think ultimately. But 
you know, you're not wrong about the importance of the law of self-defense in a particular jurisdiction and, you know, the power of a sympathetic story. Right. I mean, I think the big difference between Kyle Rittenhouse and George Zimmerman, even though both were acquitted ultimately, is that Kyle Rittenhouse is a much more sympathetic defendant than George Zimmerman ever was. Yes, but I'm not sure that the jury knew that in the in the Trayvon Martin case. I, you know, I think we've come to learn a whole lot more about him now than what was known at that trial. And maybe, I mean, you know, George Zimmerman was kind of an oddball, I suppose. And he was told this to stand down by the 911 operator. But for all intents and purposes, you know, he wasn't African-American. He was apparently Latino, but didn't look it. And, you know, he's he's being a neighborhood watch guy. Kyle Rittenhouse kind of being a neighborhood watch guy. I mean, they're not exactly the same, but my mind keeps going there for some reason. They were both acquittals and they're both stunning to me on some level. So we'll, we'll keep going. Maybe I'll change my mind. All right. Well, Abby, once again, thank you for joining us. And I'm looking forward to continuing to dive into this truly fascinating and sometimes completely perplexing case. It is. Perplexing is exactly the right word, but it's really interesting. Nice talking with you, Carrie. That brings to a close this weekly recap of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next week as we conclude our look at the testimony of Kenosha Police Detective Martin Howard and as we examine a sidebar discussion regarding the potential dismissal of one of the jurors in the trial. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our guest on this episode was professor of law at Georgetown University, Abby Smith. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. It was edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.